Warning, the episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Murder With My Mother. We are back for another week. I can't believe it. It is episode 10 already of Murder With My Mother. We hope you guys all had the best Christmas, even though you weren't allowed to spend it with anybody. But we hope you guys made the best of it and had a nice little intimate time with your one other person, too. I hope you didn't have a big Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Some people did. Some people didn't even care. Like, uh, a friend of mine had a caption and it just said, sorry, sorry, Bonnie. And it was like her whole family. Yeah. I don't even remember who that was. Someone on my Facebook, if you listen, and it was you, I mean, message me if you wanted, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, to each their own. I mean, I know that I won't have killed any of my family members over the holidays because we just had the couple people that were in our bubble and I feel satisfied that I did that for my own well-being. I'd feel bad if I happened to get someone sick by not obeying what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and it, it's Christmas, so I get that people are frustrated and want to be with their family, but just given what the year has been, yeah, if, if it ended where it's like, oh no, I killed my grandma, like, yeah, that, that would suck. Oh, so it would really suck. Yeah, no, 2021. Woo! 2021. <laughs> We're all looking forward to 2021. Yeah. Except- Hopefully it's as good as we think it's going to be, and it's not going to be uh, worse than 2020. Well, I flash back, my mom and I was like, what, like a week into 2020, and we're like, it's going to be our year. It's going to be the best it's year, year ever. I know it is. Woo! Which, in some ways, it has honestly been the best year of my life, and in some, the worst, but, yeah, making the best of it. I think 2020 kind of shook loose what didn't belong to us. Yeah, and it's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I just agree. kind of made us look within ourselves a little bit more than we had been, being a little bit more introspective and... I think a lot of people learned a lot of new things about themselves and a lot of new skills. Mm-hmm. And here we are on a podcast, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I am thankful for what this year brought and what this year brought in lessons. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. So. You got to think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but I am super excited for today's episode because this is number 10. Yeah. And this is the one that I think kind of started things for you. Yeah, actually, for I remember watching this Forensic Files episode. Was it Forensic Files or American Justice? It was both, actually. Probably both. When we lived in Pacific Village. Yeah, this was an, an oldie but a goodie, and it, it was close, so... Yeah, and it's funny because the way that I've been connected to this case now or is just... Yeah, I don't know. It's always been one that kind of stuck with me because I think of the number, obviously, and the infamy and the closeness of to us. It's... Close yet far. And also the fact that the killer in this case seemed like an everyday run-of-the-mill dad, basically. Yeah, literally, he looks like a kind of... He looks reminds me of someone that would... I don't know. He, Yeah, I, I don't know. I was going to say it's like a science teacher, but I want to offend anyone that's a science teacher. I don't even think, like, <coughs> when I see him, it's like a Fort McNeil dad. Yeah, he... Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody that's not familiar with who we're talking about, we are talking about the infamous Gary Ridgway. Gary Leon Ridgway. A.K.A. the Green River Killer. 
right over the border. Yep. So we are in Surrey, which is in the same town as the border. We're in the same city as the border. And they are right over the border. So it's about like a, it's honestly probably like a 45 minute drive from where we are. Right? So uh, I think, wasn't it closer to Seattle? It was, but it started in like, if you drive from us to 45 minutes, yeah. right? That's like, like over the border, I mean. That's yeah. like Kent. You start to get yeah. into like closer to that area. Yeah, definitely. Probably a little bit longer, but yeah, it's it's very close. And the fact that we are separated by a border sometimes makes things seem a little bit further away. I know with this uh, serial killer and Ted Bundy and a lot of those guys operated right over the border in that area. And it always seems to us like it's so far removed, but really it's not when you drive it, it's crazy. Well, if you think about it also, they didn't beef up security till after 9-11. So yeah. people, you could drive across the border and be like, oh, I don't have any ID and yeah. I need to actually go into this. And they're like, oh, for sure, go, go. You know, like they were more understanding at that time. You did In the yeah. 70s and the yeah. 80s. You didn't need anything. And as you know, and as you're going to talk about, he was <laughs> right in this area, parallel to the life that you're living right now. I mean, in that exact place. Yeah, no, I don't. He, it's creepy because like I've, I have like stories from other coworkers that are like, yeah, no, people knew him. He worked at a uh, truck painting plant for the company that I work for. And there is some kind, some infamy attached, obviously, because it actually is what linked him to some of the bodies. That's kind of what they got the first hit on was because he was a truck painter and they used a specific kind of paint for Kenworth, the company that was broken down by a scientist forensically and linked eventually when they could start to do stuff like that because he started committing murders in the early 80s and they didn't catch him until 2000 something. Yeah, like, he, had a, he had a long joyride. Yeah, but then you think, too, people get comfortable and they you don't do something for so long and you take a break and you think, like, wow, I'm safe. Yeah. I'm, no one's going to catch me. They forgot about it or, you know, they have no way of, of catching me. Well, and as we have seen with several of our previous cases, that's kind of linked to the personality of the serial killer also. The sense of being smarter and greater and more widely than... Yeah, more confident yeah. than anyone else. Yeah. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode number 10. Thanks for listening for a whole 10 hours almost of your life to us talking. Yeah, wow. and I hope if you <laughs> fell off the, the episodes at one point that you'll give us a chance and go back. I know our first couple, the sound was a bit off, but I think we've got all that kind of yeah, case now. And pretty we're much. pretty comfortable and enjoy bringing these episodes to you. So... Come on back and listen. Yeah, enjoy episode 10. We love you guys. Yeah. It was July 15th in 1982 when two boys were out enjoying a nice summer day and a bicycle ride in the area of Kent, Washington, which is about 30 kilometers south of Seattle. Tired from riding their bicycles all day long like kids used to do before there was video games. Yeah. Uh, they stopped to rest as they crossed a bridge that overlooked the Green River. So 15-year-old Galen Hershey recalls looking over the bridge and noticing something that was floating in the water below. So uh, every time when we talk about this, how kids or we haven't talked about a child discovering a body yet, but every time I feel like. People are literally doing like canoe. Remember canoeing? Yeah. You're walking, walking your, dog your dog on a nice like 
beautiful in a beautiful park you find a little you know it's like okay so these kids were riding their bikes on a nice day they stopped to rest and they see what looks like a mannequin in the water so which i don't know <laughs> i don't know like either I've, I've seen mannequins you just have to the side of the road yeah and oh. i literally i always think like oh no and I'm like, oh no okay because it's literally clearly i don't think i've ever even seen for a long time a mannequin in a store lately like i can't imagine just seeing oh my god there's a mannequin floating i would immediately go to well yes because that's but normal people that don't surround themselves with that all the time that are like you know fair enough a mannequin it's like the safest place i think that your brain goes to protect yourself from like fuck a body like you know that's yeah so these kids they went closer because they wanted to obviously get a closer look at the mannequin at the mannequin and so they went down and they saw a tennis shoe and then they saw hair long hair floating under the body so oh. they they instantly realized like hey nope not a mannequin it's a body and then they called the police police didn't like poke it with a stick or anything hopefully no but they you could visibly see that she had been strangled and this victim would later be identified as 16 year old wendy caulfield of puyallup Oh, terrible. Yeah. So not even four weeks later, on August 12th, the body of 23-year-old Deborah Bonner was also found along the same river. The Green River. The Green River. The next day, so the next day, literally, on August 13th. When they started looking around the area. Yep. The bodies of 17-year-old Cynthia Hines, 31-year-old Marcia Chapman, and 16-year-old Opal Mills were all discovered feet away from each other in some brush that followed that exact same river, the Green River, and all of these victims had also been strangled. So obviously, yeah. imagine in two days finding, you're finding five bodies and they've all been strangled and they're all right beside each other. Yeah, clearly linked. And the fact that no one encountered them before was probably just a lucky happenstance, really. Well, that yeah. Many people, so. so on the 27th of April in 1983, the serial killer was obviously for good name, for good reason, named the Green River Killer. So that's what they were referring to this killer as now was the Green River Killer. So the because of such a short, like it was such a short period of time and they found, like I said, five bodies at once that obviously all are probably at different levels of decay. So they can tell that this person's working like pretty steadily, vigorously. Yeah. So because of that, uh, it sparked the biggest task force since the infamous string of serial murders committed by the notorious Ted Theodore Bundy, who also operated in Northern Washington as they well must as have, oh, other God, places. They must have been like, oh, not oh, this again. fuck. Right? Like, <laughs> no you got Ted, way. is he still in jail? Like, Right? Yeah. Oh, well, and Ted actually makes a comeback later on in this case. He, not obviously killing anybody, but he... He actually helped helps, profile. Yeah, he helps build a profile because when they thought of like, oh my God, because as you guys will hear, this is going to get worse and worse. And like I said earlier, he is suspected of, he's pled guilty to 48 murders, but he is suspected of over 75 murders. Yeah. So that's all they could, they could, he confessed, like you guys will hear, but it's ruined the whole case for you, but. <laughs> sorry sorry we uh but no he's very out. infamous right i mean yeah. you guys the story is what is 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 the kicker so hopefully you guys stick around imagine they're like anyway we know what see happened ya. so like i said obviously these these detectives were probably having ptsd because they were like Definitely. man 
again, like, because Ted Bundy was infamous, but this guy is already at five bodies, and this is two days that they just uncovered and it wasn't happening it wasn't that long after ted bundy either so. no so they're like oh it was probably yeah. some of the same detectives yeah, right 100 i think it was yeah so on april 30th so just three days after they dubbed this serial killer the green river killer marie malvar was her boyfriend describes it as she was she was getting into a man's truck so the the boyfriend was in a parking lot afar across the street watching so he was a boyfriend, a.k.a. Well, what I'm assuming here was that he was probably profiting watching her as her. she was, yes, getting into vehicles to work because she was obviously a working girl. A lot of the girls that were, were killed by Ridgeway were, were sex workers and runaways and young, just young girls that were all by the Pacific Highway. So vulnerable. Very vulnerable, yes. So... Um, on April 30th, Marie Malvar disappeared. Her boyfriend was watching nearby as she hopped into a pickup truck with a really distinct paint job. He followed the pickup truck and saw what he thought looked like a struggle inside the truck. So he lost the truck, but he tried to, he drove around and tried to find the truck because obviously seeing that your girlfriend's getting in a fight with someone in a truck when you're supposed to be, whether, whatever you, whatever he is to her, you know, he's trying to, he, I'm sure his duty was to keep her safe, right? He must've felt so helpless to not being able to keep her safe when he was watching from afar. Yeah. So he, like I said, he followed the pickup truck, but he, all he could really remember was the paint job because it was very distinct. So what he did later is he drove around and around and around in a lot of the neighborhoods that were close. And he just looked for that truck and he actually found it. Oh. And it was parked in somebody's driveway. And so he called the police and the police went to the house and it was the house of Judith and Gary Ridgeway. Huh. And they knocked on the door. So Gary Leon Ridgeway was born in Salt Lake City, Utah on February 18th, 1949. He was the second of three sons and they were born all to Mary and Thomas Ridgway. In 1960, they picked up and moved to what has been described kind of like a ghetto area, like deprived area that's uh, in Seattle. It was called, it's called McMicken Heights. And that was right by the highway, right? Like yeah. that's where most of the prostitution and stuff occurred. Yeah. On that highway. Yeah, and so Gary always described his house as kind of a troubled home. Uh, his mom was super controlling and domineering, and his father believed in good old physical punishment. Corporal punishment. Yeah, so three boys, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you're probably... Well, and back in those lot. days, I think everyone believed in corporal punishment. Yeah, even much. not even those days, in the 90s, yeah. it was okay. Now, you obviously can't hate your kids, but, I mean, you shouldn't hate your kids at all, ever, but... I mean, yeah, no, it back then it was pretty regular. Smoking in smoking in cars and hospital. Like, you didn't think of things the same way, hitting your kids. Like, you didn't think yeah. it's going to have a long-term effect. They're all good. Trying to dis exactly. You're disciplining them in their own good, for their own good. His mom, like I said, she was really controlling. And he, Gary had most certainly witnessed his fair share of violent arguments between his parents. One time, apparently, his mom got up from the dinner table and smashed a plate right over his dad's head. <laughs> and his dad just kept continuing on. He was very submissive to the mom. Like, he was... Well, I don't blame him. She sounds, yeah. like, scary. He was she was scary. Worried. And she was also kind of off in the way that she would dress in really tight clothes. 
she would have big bouffant hairstyles. But she was short quite skirts. good looking. And yeah, like, she was a very hot. nice body, right? Yeah. Yeah, which later on when Gary was apprehended, uh, they did a lot of psychological stuff with him, Evaluating. right? They evaluated him and he, because he had a bedwetting problem. So yeah, there's something that's called the McDonald triad. Which means in, that there's three precursors to, to someone, someone that ends up as a serial killer. So yeah. it's wetting the bed, torturing animals... And arson. So... I mean, there's probably a lot of other shit, but that's... I mean, people... Some people agree with it. Some people think, you know, like, again, that nurture... Is it nurture versus nature, right? Are you created like that? Or is that created once you you are born? I think it's... I think it's for me, I think. Yes. My opinion really means about as much as you paid for it. Well, However, hey, you're listening <laughs> to my podcast, so... I think that, for me... The potential is there in many people, but life's events and trauma and experiences that you have combined with the precursors can definitely unlock any of those uh, people to become Well, yeah, members. like if you're born into a family where you don't have physical love, you don't have affection, you don't have all the needs, the things that uh, a human needs, yeah. I think you turn into something that you kind of adapt to your surroundings. Definitely. So, right? So I, again, same. I believe in nurture. It can be that, that lack of, yeah. or nature. You know, it, it can be created, but I think some people some can people, be born evil. Yeah. Well, with psychopathy for sure. Oh, 100%. 100% yeah. So he, because he, like I said, he wet the bed. So his mom, and he wet the bed until he was like 13. pretty old, 13. Yeah. So his mother would, and again, she's, she's attractive. And I, I think when a boy is going through like puberty and it's you know, awkward, you're getting a boner when you don't want to. Yeah. Like, it's awkward already, but let alone having, you know, you have a hot mom that is, so she would forcefully wash his genitals. For she would him. put him in a cold bath, mm-hmm. lock him in front of his brothers and then scrub her genitals with scrub his hands. His- or his genitals yeah. with her hands. I was like, whoa, no wonder he's fucked up. But and, yeah, also still. and also she apparently didn't really wear that many clothes while she was doing it. Like had her robe on and yeah. her boobs were hanging out and stuff. Like even yeah. for me, like, I mean, okay, you're my mom. You're, I don't know where this is going to go. Naked, right? <laughs> <laughs> you've, been, you've been naked. But like, I have a son and he's eight and I already feel like I just, I don't want to, you know, like even having a shower with him is something I didn't really think about. But as your children get older, like not even because whatever, but not even that it's weird because I don't think it's weird. But for me just to respect him, I don't know. I don't want to put him in that like. That is weird. We uh, well, and, boobs and once you start to realize yeah. what that is, you know, and again, well, hormones yeah. are and curiosity and like your parents are your first role models for yeah. everything, including sexual feelings. I yeah. mean, the Oedipus complex that Freud says we all have an attraction to a parent when we're little kids, but that would dissipate just with natural yeah. consequence. But if your mom is washing your Wiener, yeah, scrubbing it like, and because later he has said in interviews that he fantasized about sleep, like having sex with his mother, but he also fantasized mostly fantasized about killing her, and torturing, and torturing, and torturing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, talk about confusing, right? Like, so well, again, nature versus nurture. Like, was that there and and brought out of him because his mom was like that, or was it you know? But also, okay, so his mom was all kinds of fucked up. Okay, yeah, but his dad. <laughs> His dad was, 
like Gary said that his dad was a bus driver and he worked at the mortuary. Yes. Okay, so the bus drivers frequented the areas where there was all the working girls, right? Yeah. So all the sex workers. So he would always have stories about sex workers. And he would speak of them in a derogatory manner. Oh, yeah. The kids always. Also. And so, um, he, but he would also, because like I said, his other job was at a funeral home. Yeah. So he would talk about... Uh, <laughs> His co-workers, so his co-workers, yeah. I'm using air not quotes, him, not course. him, of course, because, yeah, he would never do this, partaking in necrophilia, which is also known as committing a, sect, a sex act on a corpse, if you didn't know what that was, we're going to learn today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Gary's being told all this crazy stuff. Like I said, he's being shown, okay, you know, the fucking hookers and it's degrading and like talking about them, like. <laughs> degrading all they're good for is sex and this and you know like and then he's being told oh yeah my my co-workers they they have sex, have sex with, dead, with bodies. dead bodies so and you're in your pubescent years and where, your mom's like parading around sun tanning in the backyard in a bikini or sometimes topless and washing your genitals and like this is overwhelming yeah, and his dad's constantly coming home com- complaining, like, there's so many hookers, fucking yeah. good for nothing, on hookers the bus. on the bus, and giving me problems. And so he started to grow, obviously, you know, confused as to, okay, my my father has a big problem with this, and my father's friends are fucking dead bodies. Like, you know, that's confusing, especially because, like you said earlier, you set the tone for your children to allow what's okay, what you, you know, introduce well, them to. Sidebar, when I was asked in kindergarten what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said I wanted to be a stripper. Oh. Because my dad was talking <laughs> quite highly of a stripper, and I guess I was eavesdropping, and then I was asked in kindergarten, what, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a stripper. That the next awesome. thing I know, my parents were getting a phone call at home, and I didn't even know what a stripper was, but I just heard... My dad talking pretty highly of the profession, so... Well, there you go. Just goes to show. <laughs> well, you achieved big things. Yeah. You never, never, never achieved my dream. That. No, never but, achieved my dream, but, but you I almost tried there. <laughs> I heard there's a big market for nanas. Nana strippers? Yeah. Well, I'll have to research that. No, Maybe you're already can... doing your nana toes on OnlyFans. Oh, yeah, nana toes. <laughs> We've just realized that people are into feet pics. But times were tough, so we were thinking what we could do to generate that wasn't like... You guys let us know what you think if you would subscribe to Nanatoes, and maybe I'll consider it. There you go. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, we got a little bit well, uh, off. So, like I said, Gary was always introduced to some fucked up shit at home, and that's by his parents. So, other main role models. Yeah. So, at school, he was considered to be well actually well liked yeah and they said he was really well rounded and outgoing and yeah he he was described though as really nice but quite strange which we've all been in school with those kids that are kind of kind of weird but whatever i always still talk to people yeah still liked people who cares i mean i would rather be nice to everybody so that if someone you know did ever want to do something like that i would they wouldn't want to do it to me so hopefully on your basis exactly so like I said, he was well-liked, but as he aged and in his adulthood, uh, he was often described as weird. Like, people just described him as that pretty much weird. for his whole life. And when he was 16, he actually lured a six-year-old neighborhood boy into the woods 
and he coaxed him in there like come here i gotta i want to play a game with you come over here i want to show you something and kind of gotten deeper and deeper and deeper in the woods and then he just stabbed the kid right through the ribs what the fuck yeah he just stabbed him and then he started laughing and he said to the kid and the kid told an adult later he said well, I always wondered what it would be like to kill someone and then just left the boy there and walked away and, and the kid could never, he described, he was six, right? Like a six years old, six year olds don't pay attention. No. Right. And so he described him, but he didn't he know was never name. caught. He never got, he never got caught for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if that, obviously people knew that there would be kind of more of a red flag. He kind of hid his weirdness as yeah. we'll find out because Again, he hid in plain sight for a long time, and he's a weird guy, but again, when you know, sometimes people are kind of just quiet to themselves, and you think that they're just harmless. They're not out there strangling sex workers and killing women. He was also pretty hidden because he acted just like a normal person, but he did things like so out of character once in a while. Like, he tried to to rape a girl that he had gone out on a date with, too. Mm -hmm. And other than that, she didn't report him because he was always such a nice guy. Well, and he was married three separate to three separate women. Yeah. So nobody clearly picked up on his weirdo vibes. Or maybe that's what they were into. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. Because I could kind of tell he was weird just by looking at him. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So Gary also, after, again, he stabbed that boy, um, he later admitted that he, at around those that same time in those same adolescent years he also tortured animals which there you go two ding 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 like yeah and he dabbled surprise, in arson. surprise he dabbled yeah. in arson so, so Donald triad was bang on with gary ridgeway oh yes and that's why there were a lot of signs but when you no one knows you're doing this weird stuff then there's no one you know well and the 70s it was <laughs> He the just did whatever he wanted. Yeah, I guess. Well, also people didn't have the same. There wasn't as many people that there was weren't. no eye on everything. No, like, you couldn't see everything, or people couldn't go over social media and be like, "Guess oh. what, fucking Gary just did." It was just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, people weren't aware that these things were things to look out for. Yeah, okay. Anyone that tortures animals, that's probably for decades been like, "Hey, you weirdo!" Like, don't. That's a helpless person or helpless animal. Yeah. So he uh, was never really a good student in school and he always struggled with dyslexia. So that makes things hard, obviously. Yeah, everything's backwards. You can't fluidly, you know, like read a book even because you'll lose your spot and you'll be tempted to start backwards. And if you don't have the best confidence in yourself already, it's like that's not going to really help you. Because he was also tested and he had an IQ of 82 which is super low yeah it's almost a, a disability. but then you think about he got away with murder for 20 years yeah. it's like that's crazy to me so he actually repeated the same year twice and he graduated from Taiyi high school in 1969 at the age of 20 so i guess he did grade 12 twice i went to school with a guy like that named wayne yeah. <laughs> so well, there's always one of those so yeah so i'm not gonna say wayne's last name in case he's <laughs> listening but he was <laughs> damn <laughs> poor Wayne. He was twenty, and he used to go out every year with the grade eights for coffee. We'd all feel like, oh my god, a twenty-year-old are going out with a twenty-year-old for coffee. But he was a weirdo. Okay, well now a heightened note, just having that conversation. I think we've talked about this on an episode before, where it's like, <laughs> hey, whoa, when you you know when you're fifteen, sixteen, you're like, oh my god, but it's like, yeah, now when you're twenty, twenty nine, you're like, ooh, like red flag. Yeah. Oh, Wayne. Yeah, not you, Wayne. 
You're probably nice. Two You're years. probably not killing people right now. Well, hopefully not. But if you are, I'll cover you, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he actually ended up marrying uh, a girl that he was with since high school. And her name was Claudia. Claudia Craig. And they got married in August of 1970. So just the year after they graduated. So he was 21 when he got married. And pretty soon after he got married, he actually joined the U.S. Navy, which you actually find with a lot of serial killers as well. Yeah, they were in I agree. Some kind of armed forces. Part of the fourth triad. <laughs> yeah. The quad, quad. The quadriad. Quadri- what would that be? A quad. The quad. Wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so he was deployed like right away uh he's when he because he served aboard a supply ship and he went out and he was deployed into the philippines so in the philippines he started frequenting sex workers which you have to think okay you'd listen to your dad complain about them all the time so it's probably like a a pretty general topic in his household he said he had to frequent sex workers because he was away from his wife like he didn't actually say like that that was just like he of had course, to but i'm saying like you know yeah. you could meet somebody on at a restaurant and like do it the old-fashioned way or just jerk off or just jerk off yeah there you go that's what you that's what i do yeah nice <laughs> <laughs> so how many money for sex workers in 2020 <laughs> well good thing because when he was there um he caught gonorrhea he oh, got really mad snap. Yeah, I don't know why you would wrap up your willy, be so silly, but he got gonorrhea and then he was choked and then he actually just continued to have unprotected sex with sex workers. With gonorrhea? Yeah, no, he got it fixed, but then he just continued, like he was just like, okay, fool me once and then just like, fool me again, (laughs) get me again, like he didn't really seem to really care. But while he was off paying for sex in another country... Uh, his wife at home, Claudia, was having an affair. With one of his friends, actually. Yes. And so he often referred to her as a whore. Nice. Yeah. It's what you want your husband to call you. When you're out fucking, you're out having sex with, with sex workers in a foreign country and getting STDs, but she's a whore. I know you are, but what am I, Gary Ridgway? Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm rubber your glue, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> fucking weirdo. So... Because of this, obviously, they didn't last very long. And She left him. And yeah. he was really mad when she left yeah. him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, super duper mad. And that actually kind of threw him off. And he, his hatred towards women just started to grow. And he actually was honorably discharged in 1972 from the Navy. And he returned back to Renton and lived there. And he started working at the Kenworth Trucking Plant in Renton, which Renton is located about 20 minutes south of Seattle. And he would actually work there uh, until his arrest. Like I said, it has forensically linked him to the paint of the Kenworth plant where he worked for 29 years. Can you imagine working with the same kind of weird guy but just like a regular old gary and then all of a sudden like you're watching all of these murders unfold on your local news and the city's paralyzed and then gary, gary the from paint, the fucking from the paint, paint shop. oh from the paint yeah line? yeah gary from the paint line like weird like, gary oh my god yeah that's that's just like that puts a whole new spin on it yeah well you don't know you don't know anybody no i know that's true and it's really creepy because I don't like to think of that and I like to 
pride myself on having kind of a good energy reader of, okay, you're a weirdo. Okay. You're a weirdo, but you're a fun weirdo. So, you know, like not yeah. having a risk, like, but sometimes like, uh, I remember when I was in Vegas once and I had my purse behind me, you know, it's an expensive purse and pe- some people that are like looking to steal things know when an expensive item is there. Yeah. So the guy, but I remember him, he, he asked me for a smoke and he was trying to get me to like pull my bag out. But the way he looked at me, I like was so, I, I'm a, I, I'm pretty brave and like, I'm pretty intuitive and I, but that I literally felt like, and I was the only one, like smoking's disgusting. I quit two years ago, so I'm not smoking now, but you know, you go out and it was like, I was by myself and this guy, this guy literally looked through me. Like he didn't even care. All I was to him was a Gucci purse. That's all. And it's like, yeah. So, you know, it's like creepy so there's some people you can tell but imagine yeah you work beside this geeky guy for like 29 years and it's oh that's the green river killer i can't imagine no when he got back he like i said he worked at the plant so it was a pretty you know he lived a pretty normal life had a little rancher in this little area like nondescript well he began dating uh, when he would eventually marry, so it would be his second wife, and her name was Marsha Winslow. So while he was dating Marsha, and while he was married to her, he and I'm not in the Philippines anymore. So okay, like I said, he a woman of that date. Yeah, like so he continued to solicit sex workers during his marriage. But uh, so Marsha, along with his other wives, later they were interviewed, and they explained that like Gary had like an insatiable like the amount of times. This man wanted to have sex a day was crazy. Like, it would be, sometimes he said, like, 12, 13, 14 times a day he wanted to have sex. And his favorite thing to do was to go outside and, like, what is that? Voyeurism, right? It's that same thing. Yeah, and he liked to have sex beside the Green River. He liked to have sex a lot of different places. But, yeah, they later said that a lot of them were out by the Green River and just, like, different, different areas. So they explained that, like I said, he would demand sex multiple times a day, like, demand it. Like, it was like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And um, during his married marriage to Marsha, he actually became super fanatical about religion. That's weird. Yeah, and she said that, like, many times uh, she would see him reading the Bible, and people at work would see him reading the Bible, like, aloud, and he would often start crying because he described the powerful, like, the sermons were so powerful. That wow. he, was, <laughs> he would just start crying. Which, that could nor- be, like, a totally normal reaction that religious people have. But knowing what he was actually doing, you know, it's like he was actually killing people and he's crying because of these sermons. Like, they probably made him feel so guilty. So, in 1975, Gary and Marsha had one son together. And after the birth of their son, Matthew, that's when Marsha said that it kind of turned for the worse. Because before, she was always, like, at his beck and call kind of thing. Like, yeah. she was always readily available. And after they had Matthew, like, okay, being a parent is fucking hard, especially when you're kind of like a single parent, but you're not a single parent. Like, that would be hard, right? Yeah. Your husband was kind of like, he, he became resentful towards her. He was actually her. really mad when she got pregnant. Meanwhile, yeah. he impregnated her. Yeah, like, who's you? who did this to you? But yeah, he was really mad, and it was said that he was super, super resentful because she couldn't just have sex whenever he wanted also. Yeah, he felt sex. it changed socks. <laughs> He felt like it changed the dynamic of their marriage totally. Well, which it does. Yeah, but like, but like patience, it's you called it evolution, not. Yeah, and you, it's your child. Like, yeah. 
So she said over the years that they were married, his ideas of foreplay kind of started to change. So after the after Matthew was born, he began to choke her, and he, which for me obviously red flag again. But he would many times surprise her from the back, actually, like just around yeah. the house, and like put her jump in out a, at her and put her in a full on chokehold. <laughs> and like Marcia, yeah, she she would describe like being kind of scared, scared sometimes and like, he would get off on that yeah and so eventually probably because he was i mean he was a weird guy <laughs> and i think you would just develop like a probably a fear but obviously you're not going to be attracted to that anymore you know and so she uh she started to be unfaithful and he was obviously sleeping with with sex workers the whole marriage so he was already unfaithful and he later, when he was interviewed, because she was like, see you later. After, like I said, she's not into the whole, like, WWF <laughs> or WWE, I guess it's called now. Like, yeah, like, scary. I'm yeah. you in a chokehold. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> I get mad when my boyfriend, like, jumps around the corner, like, bah, you know, like, a little bit scares you. Like, imagine they literally put you in a chokehold where you're like, <gasps> and it was like to where she was going to pass out. Yeah, like, she just said. right before yeah, she blocked yeah, out, he'd like, oh. Yeah, and. And he, like, yeah, no, just looking at the guy, and if he put me in a chokehold, like, This guy's no. just, like, weirder and weirder by the minute. <laughs> yeah, so, it's not funny, because that's how he choked, and he ended a lot of women's lives. Yeah, it's So, not later, funny. again, being married to him and having all these opportunities where he didn't obviously strike close to home, because he would have killed all of his wives, especially the first one, she cheated on him, the second one. He said, though, he said to the police, I should have killed my first wife. If I killed my first wife, I might not have killed all these other people. Hmm. Well, or his mom. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he said basically that losing Marsha was the point of no return. He said that this might have been the trigger that totally pushed him over the edge. Oh, my gosh. So in May of 1982, while on the hunt for a sex worker, surprise, surprise, Gary approached an undercover cop in a sting investigation and was arrested on a charge of prostitution, which kind of casts a shadow of suspicion. At the same time in that area, women were going missing. So runaways and teens and like I said before, sex workers. So this guy would be a perfect suspect and that's why they were doing the sting because they were trying to catch a John that they thought was murdering the sex workers in the area. But after he passed a polygraph, he was no longer considered a top suspect. Like they kind of, yeah, they considered him a suspect in the green river murders and he passed the polygraph. Mm -hmm. So he also, there was another guy. Yeah. Because women started going missing. So because he passed the polygraph, obviously, you know, they took those for a lot more those days than they do now. They kind of know that, you can clearly point point to this. You can pass a polygraph. Well, if you have no conscience, then a polygraph doesn't work on you because you're not feeling any kind of nervous when they're asking you questions. You can just be totally pathological. Which is funny because he looks like a nervous guy. Yeah, he does. But right? Bah. Yeah, he's just getting ready. <laughs> so there was a cab driver that was actually their top suspect. So this cab driver, I guess he frequented uh, Pacific Highway and he would help the girls. He would, like, um, take them in when it was really bad weather. He would bring them clothing. He would bring them food. He would give them free rides places, pick them oh. up, watch them outside. Like, Did just he bang take them? care of them. I don't think so. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't know. But he seems like a nice man. All the nice things he would do. And all the women, the 
the sex workers were all saying that, right? Like, no, he's such a nice guy. But the police were like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Because what happened was they got a profiler and the profiler said that it's going to be somebody that's familiar with this area, somebody that, you know, is going to, it's going to be obvious and apparent who it is, basically. Hidden in plain sight. Mm -hmm. So meanwhile, in 1988, Gary met and married Judith Mawson. I saw an interview with Judith Mawson and she was saying, I mean, she was pretty shook up in the interview because in hindsight, but she was saying what a nice man he was. He was really nice to her daughters. He he would come home every day and be like, honey, I'm home. Yeah. And like, she would be like, oh, and it would be and like a blissful embrace. She said that he had no carpet in his house for some reason when she moved when in, like the carpet met. had been ripped up. And he said... Oh, I just rented this house and one of the kids shit on the floor or whatever. So then he <laughs> let her. Yeah. So then he let her pick out new carpet for the house. He moved her in. The only thing he was really guilty of in that marriage was saying he had to work late a lot. Mm. And she said in hindsight now, when all those days that he said he would have to work late were actually days that he was murdering sex workers or runaways or whoever else he was murdering, murdering women. Yeah. So Gary was flashback to when Marie Malvar, right? So Marie Malvar went missing in 1983. So this is before his, before he was married to Judith. So he married Judith in 1988, right? So before that, he, in 1983, um, he was questioned because when the remember the boyfriend yeah saw the truck in his driveway saw the truck in his driveway so because like i said he was questioned earlier and polygraphed yeah and women were missing but the thing is women weren't found they were just going missing yeah. for all this time but then in remember when all those bodies were found in august it was like bam 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 bam, bam, bam right yeah. and so obviously that cash they, got found exactly they 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 found the bodies and so that's what kind of led them to believe that the women that were already missing as well were murdered and just not found yeah so just running away again they they went and they questioned gary about his truck and the disappearance of marie malvar and he completely denied knowing her and having any knowledge of where she could be and he convinced them basically he wasn't their man but looking at his record and seeing that he picked up tried to pick up an undercover cop just the year before that right yeah. That he thought was a sex worker. And actually, he was observed to be down there a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, he was one of the regulars. Well, he would always area. paint his truck different. different. Like, he would paint the vehicles he had. He would paint them. Because that's what he did for a living. Yeah. He painted Easy peasy. Yeah. Lemon squeezy. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and so, on May 3rd, 1983, 21-year-old Carol Christensen disappeared from along the Pacific Highway just south of Seattle. And her body was found five days later in a wooded area of Maple Valley, southeast of Seattle. So this body is the one that was found. And they were really confused because when the body was found, it had a two, it's like a rope. They described it as a rope with two trout, like fish, yeah. strung over the body with a bottle of wine beside it with a pyramid of ground meat made and put on the body. So, so that's they were up. really confused, obviously, like, why would they, why would he be, why would the person that killed this per person be doing that, right? They were like, what's going on? 
obviously it becomes a little clearer the further we get into the story. So we're about to open up a whole bunch of weirdness at this point. Yeah. And so December 3rd of that same year, 20 year old Rebecca, or as her friends called her Becky Marrero is last seen leaving a SeaTac motel. Uh, but she wouldn't be reported until July of 1984. She wouldn't be reported missing. So again, she had a transient lifestyle. Well, and that's the thing that I was just going to touch on is you see a lot of these serial killers. They get away with murdering sex workers or people that are living, you know, that are transient. They live a more yeah. transient lifestyle, right? Or they have less family connections or they have less people that, and I don't want to say they have no people, but some of the time, because Usually if you're in that lifestyle, you know, it took you a while to get into that lifestyle and you have burned a lot of your bridges. You have a lot of people that are not going to be there to report you missing as many as, you know, say just a person that was working in the mall and something like that. You know, there's not as many people that would would know you were missing. You know, they were not expecting you to be missing. But when you don't come back and they don't hear from you, obviously, yeah, those loved ones you still have or those people even other sex workers or other people that are in that area that frequent or even that cab driver he would you know in in interviews i watched he said i would notice when girls wouldn't come back and i knew that those girls didn't have anybody and they weren't have didn't have any plans on leaving yeah but they just what disappeared in november of 1983 police held a press conference basically announcing that they believed that the same man was responsible for all 11 murders around the King County area since the summer of 1982. By January of 1984, the number of victims was 13. So a 50-person unit was started, and it beefed up what was now known, like I said, as the Green River Task Force. In November of 1984, while investigators were growing increasingly frustrated because obviously women's bodies are popping up, there's women missing, they have no idea what's going, like, they have no idea who it could be. And they've already failed for such a long time to catch Ted Bundy. Like, he killed right under their noses for a long time. So that, probably that ego well, that's the thing, thing was still there. So it's funny you mentioned Ted Bundy because Reichert, who was the head of the unit, remember, he received a really unexpected letter from probably the last person he was thinking, probably the first person on his mind, but the last person he wanted, you know, he was expecting to hear from from Theodore Bundy himself. So it was from him, from the jail he was in in Florida, because he was there on the oh, yeah. trial, remember? After, after he after killed he all those college. people, he escaped. Yeah. <laughs> escaped in Sea in Washington. And then got to Florida. No, he escaped in, where was it? Um, Montana. Ma- was it Montana? Somewhere like that. Well, we'll cover him and we'll get the specifics, yeah. because now I need to know. But anyway, at this time, he was down in Florida on death row because he did... He killed uh, all those girls in that sorority house. Yes. And so he said in the letter that he was basically offering his assistance. He had invited the detectives down to come to Florida to provide what he believed would be insight because he said that it was his area of expertise, which, I mean, yeah, okay. It was. It was. And so uh, yeah. Ted Bundy was such- well, and this is when also. they were starting to get into, because again, in the beginning of this case, they kind of got someone to come in profile mm-hmm. because when there's, when someone is picking up the speed like that and they're killing women really quickly, that's going to obviously draw the attention of, of a lot of different, like the FBI, 
they and this is at the time where they were birthing the profiling, the profiling yeah, unit, profiling right? Was just starting to. So be... imagine how this guy was so lucky to have that because okay, Ted Bundy, he he knows anything about anything. It's it's killing women totally. and about... and the area that exactly, area exactly yeah because he just was doing the same thing up there yeah. and got away for quite a long time and he was if anyone was hiding in plain sight it was Ted Bundy because yes. he was a, a politician and he was a well-liked man right so. But um, yeah, so he he offered his his assistance to them, and he actually referred to um, the river. Sorry, he referred to the killer as the river man, and he provided right. And you should read that book; it is good. So he provided some insight to what he believed, like you know, what pornography the guy was into, like pretty much. He kind of would say, he would say, like, you know, this guy's into this kind of sadism and he's into this. And he told them that he believed that the killer was coming back to the bodies. He would keep the bodies, he would kill them, he would keep the bodies, places kind of hide them, and he would come back and he would have sex with these bodies. So Ted Bundy is saying this. And if you remember what Gary's dad really liked to talk about his co workers doing, having, yeah, fucking the corpses. Yes, so committing sex acts on bodies that, again, were in the funeral home, but Gary, with these dead bodies, that he just committed the murders, he, this is what Ted Bundy, Ted was, Bundy saying. was saying. And the detectives were like, uh, okay, buddy, you're gross. You're gross. Maybe your weird ass did it. They kind of didn't really take it seriously. And they kind of passed. They, they pretty much just dismissed it as he was trying to gross them out. No, he was trying to gross them out, but he was trying, he was almost going to be executed, right? So they yeah. were trying to, they basically felt that he wanted to make himself more useful Grasping than he was. Jaws. Exactly. Because of, he's a desperate man, right? Yeah. And at this time, he also, he was like, whatever. Yeah. Appealing. We'll appealing. Yeah, appealing. exactly. So they went back up to Washington and they pretty much said okay we'll we'll take it with a grain of salt and it didn't really help them i mean what they did say is he said you should stake out one of the bodies and yeah because he's coming back to visit yeah he's coming back to revisit these bodies which again use your imagination or don't but he's coming back to revisit these bodies and if you guys hide out here and wait for him if you find a body leave it there and come back like like surveil the area and he will come back to it Oh. So on April 2nd, 1984, police discovered five more sets of skeletal remains, which brought the total number of victims at this time to 20. And just over two weeks later, two more bodies are found near the area of North Bend, including that of 36-year-old Amina Agashev. And by December that same year, the body count was 28. Holy crap. And With people still missing. Right? 14 women were still missing. Oh. So, I think that we're going to leave you guys on a cliffhanger here, (laughs) even though we kind of promised we wouldn't do that last time, but what do you guys love us for, right? Yeah, this this case is just so, we want to cover it nice and in-depth and give you all the details, because this one is definitely a mind-bender, and it's terrible, it's horrible. And there's a lot of details to share with you. So we are going to leave you guys for two more weeks again. And we'll come back and get to the amazing conclusion. And all the stuff that comes out is crazy. Yeah, so 
Gary Ridgway said that he killed so many women that he had a hard time keeping them straight. So for someone to say that, imagine what's about to come. Because we're at 28, and he's suspected of up to 70. Yeah. So come back. We will allow you to hear our voices. I always say, like, we'll see you in two weeks. So I have to think of something else clever to say. Like, come back and listen to us in two weeks. Two more weeks. Two weeks. And the next time we talk to you guys, it will be 2021. And everything will be better. And COVID will go away and everything Oof. everything will open and we'll be Still able be to a- go to the nightclubs and dance. But even though we have a broken back and we're Still old be- and I'm Still tired. Brown said that it was going to disappear just as quickly as it came. So we'll see if. <laughs> well, she also said it's going to come back in 2030. Oh, so. God. Yeah, but I don't believe Sylvia. I don't no. Know. I don't Ever since. She remember she told her mom that she was dead? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gina that was abducted by um, the guy in the States. She told told the mom that she was dead, and then the mom ended up dying of a broken heart. So but sad. she wasn't And she wasn't dead. dead. She was yeah. found and kept in the house. Oh, Anyway, so, yeah. off topic, I guess. Anyway, the next time we see you guys, we'll, or fuck. Next, next time, time we... you hear us, it will be 2021. So we hope you guys have a safe and quiet, secluded New Year's. <laughs> secluded New Year's as orders. Not a party with 50 people and yeah. no masks. Yeah, wear your mask. If you're going to go out, don't go out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're going to go anywhere, like if you're going to go get groceries, obviously, you obviously everywhere you have to wear a mask now, it's mandated, but don't hug everyone at a party. Don't go to any parties. There shouldn't be any parties happening. Um, but yeah. My friend lives down at the beach and she's getting no sleep because people are partying in parking lots now all night long. Oh, fun. The police have had to come and break up parties like every single but night. But you know what? Week. That's just a normal thing for teenagers to do. COVID yeah. or not. COVID yeah, or not. I know everyone. You're just parking like really feeling sorry for, I mean, it's it's been a long haul at this point. Oh, it's yeah. Been almost a full year of this shit. Well, yeah, and it's frustrating, but yeah. it's like, okay, hopefully we got two vaccines that are approved here. Hopefully this shit gets flowing pretty, pretty soon and we go back to normal life. But I just heard that there is one of those variant cases that was just found on the island. Oh, uh, there's two on the island and oh, there's fun. a bunch of... Elsewhere in Canada, so so that one's not more deadly, right? It's just more it transmittable. It spreads easier apparently, but it's mutating the virus. So we'll I see thought it happens. was already spreading pretty easily. Yeah, seven times. <laughs> not, I can't remember oh, the numbers, but I mean, I don't profess to be an expert. I just want it to go away. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Well. Yeah. God. Yeah. This year aged me like at least four years. Look at me. <laughs> you look great. I look forty-seven. You are forty-seven. <laughs> you look great. You look like great. Nana toes. Great Nana. Yeah. Anyone interested in more info about Nana toes, you can contact my mom at nanatoes <laughs> at onlyfans.com. No, I'm just <laughs> someone already has that name, don't pay them homage because it's not me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Save your money for the real Nana toes comes out. Imagine. We should really start that. <laughs> anyway, we wish you a happy and safe new year, everybody. And again, thank you for supporting Murder With Your Mother. Or wait. don't murder anyone with your mother i'm saying and murder with my mother thank you for supporting us thank you for listening everyone and we'll talk to you in two more weeks and in two weeks you can hear us talk murder with With my my mother mother. (laughs) love you guys Bye. bye